Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast and this is another interview episode where I am sharing another story of a fantastic woman who has made a significant career change later in life to start to work for herself so that we can share with you, find out more about how she did that and you can extract some insights and tips for your own transition. And today we are speaking with the lovely Samantha Richards. Samantha, hello. Good afternoon. How are you today? Hi, Chandra. I'm really well, thank you. And super excited to be chatting with you today. So thanks for having me on. Oh, well, I'm excited because, you know, I we've only really just been introduced to each other. So I don't really know a lot about your story. And so I'm looking forward to digging into it, knowing that every story has its own unique little nuances. So I'm excited about um, digging into some of those. So Samantha, you're based in Melbourne. Is is that right? Yep. Yep. I've been here now for 20 odd years, actually. Moved from England in 1999. Oh, wow. So a long time. And so did you go yeah. straight to Melbourne from England? Yes, I did. I met a man and I joined him. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. there you go. There you go. So interesting because I, in what feels like a past life, I went and lived in London for about three years. And when I came back to Australia, I'm from Perth originally, and I came back to to Perth and I thought that I'd find Perth too small and that I would move and that I would probably move to Melbourne because I felt like there was um, a bit of a synergy between London and Melbourne and so much so that when I talked about Melbourne, I kept calling it London. It was really weird. Oh, that is hilarious. I love it. But you know what? You're right. There is a similarity between Melbourne and London in in rather more it's an eclectic style. Yes. And I do love that about it. I didn't – I like Sydney, but I found Sydney less London-like than Melbourne in in that way. Yes. So for me, Melbourne suits my personality. Just like UK, you get four seasons in one day sometimes. Exactly, exactly. Well, we've just had a major little tangent already, so God knows where this conversation is going to go today. But, Samantha, can you tell me, what is it that you would, would say that you used to do for work professionally and what is it that you do now? Okay, it's a, it's an interesting question because from a training perspective, I always used to be an executive assistant. Okay, working at CEO level, chairman level, that higher level of administration. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a lot of my jobs incorporated office management, levels of human resources. Yeah, I did at one point in one company, I was unofficially the assistant company secretary. <laughs> You don't get the remuneration that goes with it, but no. I just point that one out. I did web administration. I did events management in different companies. So with that EA role, there are so many 
different expectations that are are, are expected to be met. Mm. And I really didn't enjoy it. It was not a role that suited my personality. I I find that when people are bossy, it there's a difference between being polite and asking. You could you can always get bees to honey rather than lemon. Yes. And I found that that when you're dealing with with people in positions of power, sometimes that power can go to their head, and I'm mm. not very good at sitting back and taking it. Yes. So eventually. I moved out from that, and there is a there is a story behind what I moved from, but I moved from that into what I do now, much later on in life, as a public speaking coach, a communications coach, predominantly of children and adults, but mm-hmm. children are my speciality, and I I found that 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 move was the best thing that I could have done because sometimes we don't communicate well Mm. and people can misinterpret what we're trying to say. Yes. And I am a big believer in the power and the importance of becoming an effective communicator and I think that's something I'm really uh, intrigued to talk more with you about in this conversation. Um, But just on on the EA side of things, it's interesting because um, I've spoken, I've met a few people recently that have worked within that space, either currently or in the past. And apparently there's a bit of a move now where because of the expectations on that EA role, it's long gone from being, you know, I guess that administrative paperwork support managing diary um, expectation that I think some people have about what an EA is and does to expanding it into all these different aspects of running a business without necessarily the remuneration. But there's a move towards changing these EA roles into what's called chief of staff. And so it seems like in some organisations there's a bit of an acknowledgement that a really, really good EA that actually can do the multitude of things that seem to be expected of one person actually you know deserves a different kind of position and remuneration but I think there's there's obviously some companies going that direction and others that just expect that this EA role needs to be the be all and end all unicorn that can do everything. Mm, I think that's very true and you know what it'd be lovely to hear that if they do travel that path of, of marrying the expectations with with what you're actually doing rather mm. than just giving a title of an EA. That was one of the things that I found that I got a bit resentful about. I worked out once I was doing the job. If you brought in the individual people to do those particular roles, if this was in one company, it would have cost the company about 250000 300000 to hire mm. for the four or five different roles that I was doing. But I was being, at that time, we're going back a long time, at that time I was being paid... 45,000? Yeah. And this is the thing, like whether it's an EA role or another title, I think that that feeling of expectation that if you're someone that's in a role and you're seen as very capable, what tends to happen is more and more things get thrown at you, more and more projects, more and more responsibilities, and you're just sort of expected to expand your role to cover them all without necessarily being remunerated. And even I think there's a point where it's 
not just about the money. It's about what's actually realistic to expect one role, one headspace to be able to carry. So I think that that feeling of that resentment of the law of exchange being really out of whack as part of a catalyst that tends to set people off on the, the path of thinking, okay, I can't see myself being happy doing this for another five years, 10 years, what's next for me? And so how did that transition start for you? You've mentioned that a bit of resentment kicking in and perhaps the type of authority figures that you were around weren't necessarily your favourite. But tell us a little bit about what was going on for you that led you to, to make this career change. Well, it was interesting. It was about 2012 and I was obviously working as as an EA and in that particular job I was unofficially the assistant company secretary. Mm-hmm. I can't actually talk about that specific thing because of the legal side of it. Mm-hmm. So that job didn't work out. So I then unfortunately started looking for other work and I was temping and I was looking for permanent work. And because my CV, having worked for the, the British High Commission in Nigeria, where I would do fraud investigation, I was the Oh, my secretary. goodness. So you're not just ordering Tim Tams and Kingston biscuits no. in your role. <laughs> you're doing fraud no. investigation. Yep. And we would go out as a businessman, businesswoman. I'd just sit there being quiet. We would go to these companies in Nigeria where the the company had contacted the British High Commission, believing that they had been scammed. So we would go across, meet with these people, and then determine whether they were fraudsters, etc. Hmm. So I did, did a bit of that. And then when I worked at Lehman Brothers in, in London, I worked for the managing director of the healthcare department. So it was a mergers and acquisitions, hostile takeovers, and I ran a group of other EAs and looked after them. What ended up happening, so I had all these skill sets, and in one company I was doing office management, like I said, events management, lots of different hats. Mm. What happened was when I, that job in 2012 didn't work out, and I was temping, and I was, during that temping period, was going for jobs, interviews. Mm. I applied for 65 jobs, okay, I got through to the second interview of so many of them because they were impressed by my resume. What would happen was sitting opposite them, chatting, getting to know them. And of course, I do my research on the company. I do my research on the the CEO, the background of the company, including the person that's talking to me. And I would be told that I was too smart, which was hilarious because (laughs) I left school with very little qualifications because I'd lived in six countries previously. I'm an evacuee from Iran. I've had, in in Africa, had guns put to my head. You know, lots of different countries where even as a child moved from school to school to school. So I was one of those kids that fell through the gaps Mm. and told that I was too smart, which I used to find hilarious, but I was too skilled. And that was the hard part too skilled, therefore would get bored, and in getting bored would leave. So assumptions were made. Mm. So I would have been 45 Mm -hmm. at that point, 44, 45. Do you know how hard it is? When you go for these job interviews, 
how disheartening it is to be told, no, you'll leave us. You're too, you're, you're too skilled. You'll leave us. You'll get bored. Well, hang on. I'm, I'm actually looking for a job that will give me stability. Yeah. I don't want to leave you. But the assumptions that are made about a skill set, and I think, when that happened and I couldn't get a job and I was getting these rejections after rejections after rejections, though they loved me, I ended up getting depression. Mm. And I think with all the school moves and stuff like that, I think there's a possibility that it might have been underlying anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I went and got some help. I started investigating what I was good at, what, what drove me. Guess what? I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I found out that I'm actually really good with people and I was a good coach and lots of people would come and ask advice. So I went and got some training in how to be a communications coach, a public speaker, mm-hmm. and joined Toastmasters. Within 12 months of joining Toastmasters, I started competing. I started winning. People were going, wow, your speeches are amazing because they were about my life in Africa, playing in the Palace Gardens in Iran, what would happen on the streets in in Africa and how I got out of sticky situations when I had the gun put to my head using communication. Mm -hmm. And once all of that happened, I realized I was really good at coaching because parents would come up to me and say, look, my kids are really scared. They don't want to go to school. I've heard that you, you're you a good communicator. You win these awards. What can we do to help our kids? I went, kids? Are you kidding me? Me? Kids? <laughs> not, not happening. So I went, look, let me have a think about it. And I went away and I wrote a couple of programs for children to better their communication skills. I'm now in four schools. I coach Zoom. That was the other challenge. So I moved from all of that to starting my own business, but I was afraid. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid for one very simple reason. It's all good and well knowing all of this stuff, having worked for other companies before, but how do you apply that to making a great foundation in your own business that's going to not only give value to other people, it's going to stay, the business will stay, not be a transient one. Yeah. But at the same time, you're giving value to yourself. So it was it was really challenging being able to look at all of those different aspects of what I was going to do to make my communications, public speaking, my training for other people to make them better communicators. And that was something which was a bit nerve-wracking for me. What really made me nervous was how do you run a business? Where do you, I, I don't know anything about marketing. Yes. Yeah. I know a little bit about HR. I know how to do an event. I certainly, my strongest thing that I'm very good at was the administration. Mm-hmm. Because of I've helped companies build departments, hold departments in the past as an administrator. So being able to create, if you have strong administration, one person once said to me, what's the biggest advice you would give a business that's starting? I say, make sure you have strong administration that you've built the foundations, you've got everything in the right area so that you're not hunting because without a strong cog, a wheel can't turn. Yeah. And this is what you've brought up there is really interesting that, you know, the disappointment 
and heartbreak to a certain degree of all of those job applications and getting so close and then, you know, those ridiculous um, excuses of, of why somebody didn't hire you. Um, and it's interesting, I think, to, to look back with hindsight and know that perhaps that was meant to happen because you're meant to be doing what you're doing now and the different roads that you could have gone down if somebody had snapped you up in a, um, a role. Uh, but then also to go, okay, that, that this, it sounds like it wasn't something that you made a decision about, oh, I want to be a um, public speaker and a communications coach. It was that something that you sort of followed your genuine passions and interests that then as a result of, of people asking you for help in that particular area opened the idea for you. So you kind of, it seems like you followed that demand from the market more so than, hey, I really want to work with kids and help them solve this problem. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. You have just hit the nail on the head because I had, if you had asked me, if you'd said to me 15 years ago, Sam, you're going to be coaching kids. You're going to be coach. I would have gone, and you're mental. <laughs> That's so not happening. <laughs> when I when I did this move, the, it was disheartening, but you're absolutely right. Had someone snapped me up, had I not gone through that and got the help that I needed to address my my issues that I had, because it takes courage to get help and, mm. and say, actually, I'm struggling and why I need I need to address those. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. No. And I I honestly look, I'm at I'm at a, one of the schools at the moment called Tucker Road Primary School, which is where my daughter's at. And out of the twelve leaders, main school leaders, house captains, school captains, nine of them are my students or have been coached by me. Wow. So I teach them interview training techniques, how to pitch for a role, how to think on their feet, how their body language will affect the way that they're coming across. Mm. And this is so exciting for me because I feel like these communication skills will help them no matter what they decide to do in their life and mm. we don't realise how influential communication is in everything that we do and so uh, fostering these kinds of skills and awareness in kids I think is just creating a, a, a really powerful opportunity for them you know to have an even bigger impact. Now you also touched on some of the challenges of you know going from the theory of oh it'd be great for, for me to work for myself to then yeah. realizing all the multiple hats that you had to go back to wearing in running a business. What do you think you know have been perhaps some of the biggest challenges that you've had to face in becoming a business owner? One of the biggest challenges was sales. Mm -hmm. I have no training in sales. What I did learn how to do is because I have a passion on, on obviously my product, which is me, my service, mm -hmm. it made it easier for me to sell. But that challenge is actually a very uncomfortable conversation when you're talking about money, isn't it? A lot yes. of people devalue themselves they don't put that value and I at first I was looking at doing things for free and then yes. eventually I realized one of my problems with giving away for free is does that person who's getting it actually value what they're getting mm. because one I'm devaluing myself but I may as well just be chatting to a mate saying the same thing and yes. either them going off doing it or not doing it but when people pay for it 
they actually will go away and do the exercises that you're giving them. That was one of the biggest challenges to put a value on what I was doing. Yes, that is, it's a really common one. In fact, I had a conversation just yesterday with two women that are part of my group coaching program and it was all around pricing and challenges around one of them in particular about their rates and worrying that they're too expensive. Uh, and, you know, I just explored that because we do bring all these money stories into our business. And that's why I'm a big believer that before you go into business or too far down the road, it's really important to actually be curious and uncover a lot of your money stories and your money stuff, because otherwise it's just going to keep following you into your business. Because, you know, as you said, you, people who love what they do can do that. The, the temptation of one of two things, as you said, doing it for free. And some people justify that by saying, well, I love it and so I would happily do it for free and I can understand that. However, I believe that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, that is a loosely veiled strategy to avoid confronting their own issues about charging for their services. So that's a hurdle that people have got to get over. The second one is that people can often go to as it, and it's like the near enemy of doing it for free is to do Mm. um, like a contra exchange. And sometimes Mm. that works out okay, but a lot of the time it doesn't because what can happen is that, you know, if you're exchanging your coaching and, and consulting services in exchange for I don't know, a massage or fruit and veggies or whatever, there is going to come a point where the law of exchange doesn't feel fair anymore, that either you're providing more than you're getting or they're providing more than they're getting. And that resentment kicks in and it just ends up being not a positive experience. So again, it just comes back to avoidance of if someone really values what it is that you're going to provide for them, then they will pay for it. Now, sometimes we have Mm. to work on how good we are at communicating the value of what we provide in order for someone to make that decision. But I think there's this whole piece around the the amazing ways that we can avoid actually dealing with the money side of things. So I'm glad that you brought Mm. that up. Yeah, and you know what? I actually think there's another element to it when you possibly think about it, especially when we're changing careers. When I was working as an EA or whatever else it was that I would go into, I was at a certain salary level. Mm -hmm. And you didn't get paid for the more work that you did. There was an expectation. So you automatically devalued. Yeah. So that then becomes part of you. And it's then breaking that down and saying, why am I still behaving as though I'm only worth 45, 55, yes. 65, 75, 85, 105,000. There are people out there who charge for one day just for you to come in and do public speaking and communications coaching with them. You'll be paying six grand. Yep. The way I priced myself was because I'm, I'm like the next person. We like to be comfortable. Yes. But I'm not chasing money because I'm actually chasing a lifestyle mm-hmm. for me based on my values. When, when I say I'm not chasing money, I put a value on, on my, what I'm offering, which I felt was a fair hourly rate. And I charge minimum of four hours. And, but with my kids group coaching, 
it is like any other extracurricular activity. It's within that that range. Mm. I think when you step into the greed side of, of things, that's when it becomes tricky. Yes. When you go for greed, quite often things come back to bite you in the bum. Yes. Okay. And that's the and difference, I think, between being driven for and by the dollar versus mm. driven to serve and a, a really the distinction just looping it back again to what you said earlier is that the difference between how someone shows up when they are getting something for free versus mm. how someone shows up when they've paid for it and there's a great quote yeah. I heard years ago that I always liked which is the transformation is in the transaction that when somebody is prepared to invest in themselves to get whatever the solution is that they're hoping and believing they'll get from the product or the service, they attribute a value to it and therefore they're more likely to show up to do the work, etc. Whereas even though we all think we like getting something for free, there is something that does impact differently. So I think it's a cautionary tale for um, women in business to be really mindful about the balance unless they're being strategic in what they're doing for free and mm. there's lots of different ways you can use that but as long as there is a strategy behind it and there's some other benefit um, and not just an avoidance of the whole money side of things. Um, something yeah. else I'm interested in, in hearing from you is about the uh, approach and transition into working for yourself. Um, mm. You started telling me about the challenges around sales that then linked mm. into the money side of things has there been anything else that you've found as has been a bit of a challenge in going from an employee to uh, doing your own thing part of it is when you're a one-man band being on your own mm-hmm. you don't have someone else to bounce ideas off yeah so i with regard to that because i'm a people person i covid by the way is a nightmare for extroverts <laughs> um <laughs> have not I just don't enjoy being stuck at home there are benefits but on that side of of working I like people I like being around people you get ideas from each other you chit chat something someone can say just a simple thing that they can say you can go I love that Mm. I'm going to take that yeah I'm going to make that work and it could be just a throwaway comment so I miss that side and that, that, that's been a challenge for me. On the other hand, what I've done, because I am a one-man band, is I've surrounded myself by some really savvy entrepreneurs, very clever people. And we, we have these sit down, we go catch, catch up, have coffee, we bounce ideas off each other. And that's been a really good other way to get around that because I'm not, quite able to move into hiring other people yet Mm -hmm. I have one person that comes in does coaching for me when I when I need her to Mm -hmm. but I can't take anybody on full-time I outsource my VA work my my administration work to a VA but I can't take anyone full-time so being able to have these ideas for growth with other people who are pretty much in the same boat and that that has been fabulous but it's also the people interaction which is good even in a general chit chat sometimes people come up with brilliant ideas even as friends but if you have women or or men who are great entrepreneurs around you we can all help each other in that way and that's been a benefit to the challenge that I had to 
to work out. The other side of it is setting up everything from scratch and not having a team. Yeah. I've been able to have, I've been very blessed in what I've done is I've been able to watch businesses work and sit in senior management meetings and see what works and what doesn't work. Mm. And if, if you watch, you can learn a lot. Yeah, and it's one of those examples of where looking back you can see mm. that, that perhaps all of these seemingly random and diverse different roles you've had, types of projects that you've got thrown into working on, they all can benefit you now in different and surprising ways and I think that can be a really interesting thing to consider when you're looking back because sometimes when you're just looking forward you can't see how this range of different history of work that you've had is is possibly you know lining you up for something in the future but there are there little moments where oh I've got to I'm going to organize a workshop oh well I've had some experience with organizing events and you'll be able to draw on on that so I think one of the things that I like to encourage people to realize is that they do have a range of transferable skills from their experience so far that they will be able to apply in different ways into their own business and that it hasn't Mm. been wasted and sometimes there's a through line um, that you can see with hindsight of these different roles that you've had or choices that you've made that are hints around you know your passions and interests and the, the vocation that you're um, here and in designed to do because I think a lot of people talk about, oh, I want to find my purpose or my, my one perfect job and I think that that is really about you showing up as the best version of you and that what you actually do as a vehicle for your, your job, how you receive money in exchange for your insights and your uh, expertise, your effort, whatever it is you're providing, uh, is you know that's that's really what your your purpose is 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 showing up as responsible for you continuing to grow and contribute to others in whatever flavor that is. Mm, absolutely, and mm. I think that that's really that that's an important factor of of when you are changing and you're wanting to change but you don't know where to go that path of self-investigation is a freeing one and I I actually was saying to a girlfriend just today that when I allowed myself because throughout life as an adult our experiences can can dull us a bit Mm. and I lost contact with little Sam inside and when I allowed myself that freedom, I started investigating. I started discovering what I really, what my true passion was. Mm. I started living again. I stopped existing. Yeah. And that spark of life, and I think that that's what drives me because I can then, when I see, and this also happens with adults, when I'm coaching adults and I see that little light bulb go on because I just simply ask the questions they do the evaluation, they do the work, but I, I guide them mm. and they go, oh my gosh, wow. Or they deliver their first real proper speech and they get really good feedback. The same with kids, that light bulb goes on and that confidence builds. Yeah, amazing. It must be just such a great feeling when you get to, to see that. I, ha- I cannot 
do you know, I look back at my life and I look back at the little girl that I was, okay? Uh, I was feisty, mm-hmm. okay? But I was also frightened. I didn't mm-hmm. have a voice, but I had the wrong kind of voice. So I was loud, mm-hmm. but with the wrong kind of voice. And I think when you've seen the things that I've seen growing up, when you have been evacuated from the only country that you really know, even though I'm not Iranian, I was an expat. And when the Shah was overthrown, we were evacuated with nothing but the clothes on our backs. And whisked off to England, thrown into school, couldn't read or write English at the age of 10. Wow. I could speak it fluently. And, and you look at that, and then I moved from there to Nigeria and Sudan, l- looking at all of these different scene voodoo, or juju in Nigeria it's called, being performed, these different lives. And, and I look back at my life and go, wow, there were, there were so many things which were terrifying, but so many things that were eye-opening in, in such a wonderful way. Mm. Had I not gone through them, I don't think that I would have, I wouldn't be able to go into the kids I coach and connect with them the way that I do connect with them. Yeah. Or even the adults, the fear in adults to to step over that precipice, go look down into that little little horrible well and go, mm, it's looking a bit dark down there. I don't know if it's <laughs> But to be able to go down there with them yes. and show them that when you face that, that first risk you take makes all the other risks that you take seem less fearful. Yeah. And this is the thing, like what what a amazing life you have had from just what you just shared there. Uh, and I think it is. It's when you can look back, but it can be difficult when you're in those moments of whatever the crossroad moment is or uh, the life-changing moment is, it can be difficult whilst you're in it to appreciate there's a gift in it. Uh, And I think there is that we all get to this sort of point in our lives where that self-reflection and the question of actually who am I and who do Mm. I want to be and what am I here to contribute or to do I think there's, there, as you said, there's real value in giving yourself that gift of acknowledging that everything that has happened to you in all the different aspects of your life in some way equips you to do more and be more of who you're really meant to be mm-hmm. where you are now. And so I think the more you can keep stepping into that, I think is, is amazing. So, Sam, if people are, are curious and they want to find out more about the work that you do with kids or with, or with adults, where should they go to connect with you and find out more about your different programs? Yeah, the you can either email me directly, which is Samantha underscore Richards at buildingvoices.com.au mm-hmm. or either Facebook, same names, Building Voices, Public Speaking, or Instagram. You'll see a lot of the work that I do with the kids by the way, I have permission from parents for anyone that questions. <laughs> okay, great. But I always make sure I have the right permission. But the if you want to go to my website, it's www.buildingvoices.com.au. Fantastic. And I'll make sure that 
we include uh, some of those links in the show notes so that if people just want to click on them, they can go straight there um, to find yeah. you. And so as we start to finish up, Sam, is there anything that you look back on and you think, I wish I knew that sooner in the context of, mm. of starting your business or I wish I did that sooner? Is there anything that comes to mind for you? Yes, actually. And you know what, if I could, I'd like to, if I could speak to my younger self or actually anyone who's younger, mm-hmm. I am 51, it's it's to don't wait as long as I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's, it's a long time when you hit 45 to start going, I'm really want, I wish, I, I wish to God I'd made the changes earlier. Yeah. If you have a passion, if you have a dream, if you have something that you desperately want to try, yes, you might be in a job. Yes, you might be a bit, bit nervous about it. Ask yourself a simple question. What do, what outcome do I want? Do I want to stay here? Or do I want to see what my future, can I make my future happen? Can I make success for me? Because it's not about, in all honesty, it's not about, oh, the universe gives to you or this or anything. Actually, it's you giving to yourself. Yeah. They might have a play in it somewhere. But in reality, the only person that makes our futures happen, our destinies happen, is us. Yeah. So be kind to yourself and give yourself the best opportunities you can. But by taking, I won't say stick your hand into a, a, a pit of tarantulas because that's just <laughs> ridiculous. But I am going to say every fear that you face, everything that I wish I had faced, I wish I had had self-belief. Mm. Believe in yourselves because if you can believe in yourself, Anything is possible. Yeah. Trust yourself. Such good point because I think that is, it's one of those defining moments where ground zero is very much about asking that question or a version of it about what you want and and are you accepting that you're going to stay where you're going to stay for whatever and we sometimes that is the decision that people will make or are you deciding that even if you don't know exactly what it looks like you want to explore something different that's it's like a commitment that you make to yourself isn't it that here is my decision in this moment of which way I want to go Uh, and then you take the next step and the next step but that's where the where it all starts isn't it that that commitment to here's what I want to explore and I'm, I may not know everything but I know that I can back myself. I totally agree with that. And the other, the other little piece of the thing which I think is really important because any, anything that's holding you back, anything that's keeping that, that you from, from achi- achieving your highest potential, okay, go and get help. Yeah. Don't be afraid. To, it doesn't mean you're bonkers. It doesn't mean anything else. It actually means you're stronger than those people who won't get help, who probably know they need help or don't realize that they need help, but are still creating a cycle. Of, it's the same cycle. It's like chasing a tail. But go and ask for help. Get the help that you, you, you need because I couldn't have become what I am now, by the way, had I not gone and addressed my issues. Yeah. And this and, is the, that courage piece, isn't it, about um, acknowledging that it's not only okay for you to ask for help but actually it can be 
the fastest and the 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 best road to go down to be able to go all right well I'm not I'm not expected to have to have all the answers right now and I there are people that can help me and that that will set me up even stronger down the direction I want to go absolutely and there's there's another another little thing that I do every day and that is I actively think I get up in the morning I do little puzzles and I think I try to start my day off with a positive thought. Mm-hmm. So I, even if it's looking up at the sky and saying, wow, it's lovely, rather than, wow, it's grey, I look at the, the sky and I say, isn't Mother Nature interesting? Look at that sky, the different colours. Yeah. So I start, try to start off my day with a positive thought. doesn't mean it always stays positive. I have children. <laughs> <laughs> and that positive thought for someone else could be, today is my day. I'm going to do it. Mm. Whatever it is. Yeah. It could be, I'm actually, for, for someone who suffered depression, getting out of bed was a huge deal. Yes. Yep. Today I'm going to get out of bed. Today I'm actually going to make that phone call to someone who can help me, for me, get my business up on Zoom when I had 24 hours to get it up online when yes. COVID happened. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I made those phone calls. Today I'm going to... I'm actually going to say to my husband, I love you. Mm. <laughs> because when you've been in a relationship for 20 or 3 odd years, you stop saying those things. And these becomes- are the moments, aren't they, of decision and action that determine, you know, the quality and the experience of, of the life that you have now and the future that you're creating. And so I love that the idea of, you know, consciously choosing to start your day with some kind of positive thought and then going, okay, how do I show up? How does that translate into some action? And I think that, that hopefully people listening will have, you know, some ideas about how they can do that to take whatever the next small step is in the direction that they want to go to reach out for help or to, as you say, make that phone call or send an email or listen to that podcast or read that book or whatever it might be uh, to actually take the action and keep going, you know, building that momentum from there. Sam, yeah. thank you so much for sharing so openly about your amazing story. I think you need to write a book. Have you got a book on on the cards? Well, I'm actually writing a novel at the moment. It's a fiction and it's been sitting in the back burner oh, for years with the excuse of, I don't have time. <laughs> and with COVID happening, I've started writing it. It's It's Adults only, we don't let children read it, mm-hmm. but it's set in Victorian England. I'm really excited, actually. I'm loving the process. With regard to my life story, I think I need to wait for a few members of the family to, you know, say <laughs> goodbye before I do that because I will end up being annihilated because there's a lot more to my story than, uh, than I can let and just out the Nigerian the fraud investigations. Yeah, there's... <laughs> It's, it's my story is a little bit on the ridiculous side. I actually once had a friend say to me, your life story is like a movie, so it can't be true. And I said, where do you think movies get their ideas it's from? Exactly, exactly. Well, we so, will stay tuned for both the fiction and the uh, nonfiction <laughs> book uh, that you are um, going to be creating. And thank you once again so much, Sam, for the time and um, sharing your insights. And for people that want to find out more, we'll make sure we include the links in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've absolutely loved this chat. And 
and being able to talk about it. It's been fabulous. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sam. So that's it for another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. But if you are at a point where you have an idea and you feel like the next phase of your work life is going to be you working for yourself, then one of the first things that you really, really need to get sorted is the money side of things. And I'm not just talking about figuring out how much money it's going to cost you to get a logo or and a website done. I'm talking about you and how you handle the money side of your work and life. And to get you started on that, one of the things that you need to know is that there are actually five money zones. And these are five aspects of your life that influence how you think, feel and act around and with money, how much you earn, what you do with the money that you earn, how it helps you or holds you back. There's a whole relationship that you have with money. So if you're going to create a successful, thriving business that gives you the sort of freedom and lifestyle that you want to enjoy, then you really need to know what the five money zones are and which one of the five zones you need to work on first based on your unique situation in order to have the biggest positive impact on how much money you earn and keep. And you can discover all about the money zones right now in an easy five-minute money breakthrough quiz that I've created that you can get your hands on right now at thetransitlounge.com forward slash money quiz. I'll put a link in the show notes for you as well, but it's thetransitlounge.com forward slash money quiz. And I really do encourage you to go and check it out because if you can get your money side of things sorted, then trust me, everything else becomes so much easier for you to start and grow your own business. When you don't have the money side sorted, it tends to be the fastest handbrake to your creativity and your business growth. So go do that now. You've got nothing to lose. Go do the quiz, figure out your money zones and go have a great week. See you next week.